and a branch shall grow up out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be on the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That from Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 9. And it was written 700 years prior to Jesus being born. I don't know what you hear about that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11. I think whether it's Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, even here in chapter 11, I hear a lot of anticipation. The Israelites, the people of God, are looking for some kind of hope, right? So let me ask you this morning, as you prepare your hearts for Christmas, is it going to be just another Christmas? Is it going to be just another time of commercial celebration? Is it going to be just another time where people go in debt? You know that's what Christmas is for a lot of people, right? So what is Christmas for you in 2019? Uh, My plan the next several weeks is to remind you what Christmas is all about. To kind of instill that anticipation that, uh, that kids have anticipation, right? They're looking forward to December the 25th. Their anticipation sometimes needs to be redirected, right? The real Christmas story. But I I think sometimes we as adults, we become so conditioned to just going through the motions that we forget about the anticipation. We forget about the Emmanuel. We forget about the God with us. We forget about the great miracle of God coming and living among us. That's what truly Christmas is all about. So let's talk about Christmas these next several weeks. Would you pray with me, please? Fathers, we open your word this morning as we consider not just words on a page, but as we consider your word made flesh, as we considered you sending your son, your son coming and living among us, becoming like us, and yet was without sin. We realize, God, the the great promise that the Israelites were anticipating even back 700 years prior, even back to Isaiah chapter 11. Father, I pray that this Christmas is not just like any other Christmas, but that we truly, we as the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, that we anticipate you doing something good once again. We recognize, God, that we are nothing without you. And we recognize that all good things, to include the crucifixion, the resurrection, the hope that we have, the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ, all begins with the Christmas story. 
I pray over the next few minutes, the next few days, the next few weeks, for the rest of our lives, that we will live with anticipation, knowing that your plan is not yet fulfilled. Grateful, Father, we have this opportunity to open your word and to glean what you have for us today. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. From the New Revised Standard Version, it reads this way, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. You think that maybe Elizabeth was conditioned to a hopeless existence, do you realize barrenness in the ancient Near East was a sign of a lack of blessing? But something is about to change. We live in a world full of brokenness. Would you agree? We live among people. We, in fact, are people of the flesh, and we sometimes get caught up in the hopelessness of life. Have you ever tried to, to do something and you feel like you fail and you fail and you fail? Anybody else? I, I feel that way all the time, and it, and it almost, if you're not careful, you fall into this default mode of helpless, hopeless, that life has passed you by, perhaps. I was asked again this past week over a Thanksgiving meal, uh, why do bad things happen to good people, Right? I mean, that's the question of the day. That's the question that most people, even if they're not asking it out loud, they're thinking that way. Why do bad things happen to good people? We had a conversation, and I didn't have the answer because I think the answer is much bigger than just a 20, 30-minute conversation over a Thanksgiving meal. This idea of hopeless and helpless and suffering and struggling and lack of blessing, is very real. If not for you, and I think you would all agree it has been for you. If it's not now, it has been in the past, right? So what changes things? For Elizabeth, who's been barren. Now notice they've done everything they know to do, right? It says in verse 5 and verse 6, both of them were righteous before God. Did you notice that? Both of them were righteous before God. According to the Jews, what does it mean to be righteous? They were religious people. They were following the laws of the Lord. They were righteous people. They were doing everything they knew to do. They were living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But, but she was barren. And that lack of blessing, that lack of, of joy, I think you'll agree with me, it's not just for individuals, but it has a ripple effect through families, through communities, through, through the world. Something has to happen to change this, this view of life, this perspective that the sky is falling, if you know what I mean. That's the very purpose that Luke writes, you understand? Once when Zechariah, it says in verse 8, was serving as priest before God and a section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood 
And I want you to notice that, right? A lack of blessing, a hopelessness, a helplessness. Blessing is identified in the ancient Near East as children. And even though they were righteous, even though they were doing everything they needed to do, following the rules, following the regulations, doing everything good Jewish people do, Zechariah was even a priest. Zechariah was from the, the Levites. Elizabeth was from the Levites, and yet they had no children. And God's still working behind the scenes. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, it says, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside, and there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah saw him. He was terrified and fear overwhelmed. Now, don't be too quick to chastise Zechariah, right? If an angel of the Lord appeared to you, you would probably be deathly afraid, would you not? Yes, you would, right? If you recognize this was a messenger from God, you should be afraid. You should have a holy reverence for God. I, I think even in the Psalms, I don't know where Jennifer went, I think even in the Psalms, we, we have seen through David's Psalms, through the Psalms of Moses, through other Psalms, the sons of Korah, this healthy reverence for God. Even when they say in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am the Lord. There, there's something there's something that gives us a respect for when God shows up. We were talking in our Bible study uh, this morning about 1 Samuel 17, the David and Goliath story, and talking about the, the underdog, the Israelites. David, a young shepherd boy, but when God shows up, he's no longer the underdog. Do you, you hear that? He's no longer helpless or hopeless or without hope. I don't know if you caught it or not, when I was reading from Isaiah chapter 11, and as I said, there's several other passages throughout the first, about the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, there's this wanting, this, this desire for God to show up and, and do something that would, that would allow us to see things in a different way. Do you follow what I'm saying? There's only so many days, there's only so many weeks, there's only so many years in life there's only, only so many seasons that you can struggle and, and feel like everything is against you. I think the Israelites felt that way. I think the prophet Isaiah speaks that way because God realizes that that's the way people feel, that that's what people are, are going through. And God's going to do something about this feeling of hopelessness. That's this anticipation, I think, that we as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're not careful, we're just like everybody else, right? We fall back into this default mode of wringing our hands and saying things like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or things like, woe is me. Right? Or feeling sorry for yourself. Or crawling over in a corner and getting in that fetal position and hoping it all goes away. I think Zechariah and Elizabeth need some good news. And when the angel of the Lord shows up and is about to give him some good news, he is deathly afraid. But the angel just doesn't show up just to show up, right? There's some kind of proclamation that you ought to, if you haven't already done so, your ears ought to perk up because when God shows up, when the angel of the Lord shows up, 
with David, who's equipped in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when he's equipped with the Spirit of the Lord, it changes the equation. That's what the Israelites in Isaiah need to, and that happens in chapter 40, by the way, if you haven't read Isaiah in a while. From chapter 40 through chapter 66, that hope is restored, not because of who they are, but because of whose they are. In other words, this story is not a story just for you and I. This is a story for, it goes back to the beginning of time, to the Israelites, to Zechariah, to Elizabeth, to Mary and Joseph, right? We'll see that over the next several, several weeks. And it's all because of God's faithfulness. It's all because of God's faithfulness. If you're going through a time now of struggle, if you're going through a time now of suffering, if you're going through a time now of what if, don't stop. Don't quit. Keep believing. God is faithful, right? When we say Emmanuel, when, when Hal or when Kyle or when somebody takes the microphone and says Emmanuel and we condition ourselves to say, well, when he says Emmanuel, I'm going to say God with us. No, it really means something. When God shows up, everything changes. When the angel of the Lord shows up to Zechariah in a place of prayer, things are about to change. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, even before his birth. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? Those of you in our Bible study this morning, did you notice that? Even before his birth, he will be be There's something unique about this man named John. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the equation has been changed. Right? You may think that you've lacked blessing. You may think that God has forgotten about you. You may think that your circumstances outweigh God's blessings. But let me tell you, when God shows up, when the angel of the Lord shows up, and more importantly, when the Spirit of the Lord fills you before birth, Everything changes. The equation has changed. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I'm an old man. My wife is getting on in years. You hear what he's focused on? He's focused on circumstances, right? He's focused on what he thinks is reality. This is a priest who is blameless. This is a priest who is righteous. This is a priest who has perhaps gone through the motions for year after year after year, and yet he's still so focused on what is natural that God's going to show him there's something much greater than natural. The angel replied in verse 19, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've seen, I've been spent to, uh, sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute and able to speak until the day those things occur. Meanwhile, the people that were outside praying, they were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he didn't come out, he could not, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Something had changed. 
After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. And she said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I've endured among my people. Hope restored. Now you may be thinking, what does this have to do with little baby Jesus who's born in a manger to a couple named Mary and Joseph? This is the beginning of the Christmas story, right? We didn't read the first four verses of chapter 1 of Luke, but why does Luke write to Theophilus? He writes because he wants to give an orderly account of what's occurring here among the Israelites, and not just among the Israelites, but the entire world, even God of the Gentiles too, it says in 1 Corinthians. Even for you and I, it's hope restored. So for Matthew... Matthew's gospel, the big theme is Emmanuel. It's God with us. For Luke, it's hope restored. If you're a woman, read through the gospel of Luke these next several weeks and recognize there's hope restored. If you're a woman in the ancient Near East, you have no hope. That is until God shows up. When God becomes your identity, when God moves in and takes up residence in your life, everything changes. We're all on equal footing. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you're poor and you have nothing and you need some hope, right? You need to read the Gospel of Luke because it's all about hope restored. That's what the Christmas story is all about. I want to show you just a couple of things this morning as we begin to think through this anticipation we should have before the Christ comes, before Christ shows up and changes everything. First of all, did you notice in verse 6, 7, we talked about the righteousness before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children. That little word, but, means a whole lot, right? But they had no children. They had, she was barren. I think sometimes we become so frustrated, we become so conditioned to, we were driving through several places this last week uh, on the way home, and seeing old towns that we've seen many, many times before and talking to Shay and saying, what do you see? When you drive into this town, right, our hometown or whatever, wh what do you see? And she said, what do you mean, what do I see? I see, I see buildings. I see, well, what, what, think, think more than that. What do you see? Well, I see dilapidated buildings. I see a business who's gone out. I've seen this, that, and the other. You know what my daughter said? Caitlin said, I see death. And I said, what do you mean you see death? Well, I see that things just have gone on. They've, they've just moved Time has passed this. You guys know what I'm, what I'm talking about. You don't have to go to my hometown to know that, right? And I, I said, I, you know what I see? I see that we become so conditioned that people don't care. In other words, life has been such a struggle. Life has, has, has been so hard. There's a certain amount of suffering in life that we eventually condition ourselves not to care. And some kind of restoration. That's the word revival. Anybody remember revival? Right? The 70s, the 80s. Kevin, you know what I'm talking about, right? What is, what is revival? Something needs to be revived, right? You guys remember the story of Lazarus in the New Testament where he's, he's been dead for four days. They put him in the tomb. They've got professional warm. We just talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. They've got professional mourners standing around the tomb. Well, what needs to take place? Revival, Right? And when Jesus shows up, what happens? Revival, right? Life restored. And it's more than just those little old dilapidated towns or cities. There's things like that in your heart. 
if you're not careful, right? Uh, there, there's things that that we struggle with. There's this tension between flesh and spirit. Read Romans chapter 7. It's the same thing that needs to happen with Zechariah and Elizabeth, this idea of hope. I want to talk to you about verse 14 and 15. Notice what the prophecy was that the angel of the Lord speaks to Zechariah. Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You will name him John. And then notice what it says in verse 14 and 15. You will have joy and gladness. If you've been frustrated for so long, isn't that a message you need to hear? You, you will have joy, you will have gladness. And notice this phrase, and many will rejoice at his birth. Why will many rejoice at the birth of John? We're not talking about Jesus yet, right? But why does it say, and many will rejoice at his birth? You know why? Because they're looking for a forerunner to Jesus Christ, right? We just talked about that in Isaiah chapter 11, or in chapter 7, or in chapter 2. They're looking for something to happen. They're looking for, if you're a Jew, you know that as the Messiah, right? The one sent from God, the anointed one. But before the Messiah comes for a Jew, what needs to happen? The prophet needs to show up. The forerunner of Christ needs to show up. And Luke says the forerunner has shown up. You guys remember John the Baptist, right? The one who stands in the Jordan River as he's baptizing people. And Jesus shows up. His, his cousin, in a sense, shows up. And John says what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? The reason that we're talking about this particular narrative is not because, I mean, this is the beginning of the Christmas story. The prophet has to come. The forerunner has to come. That's what they're looking for in Isaiah. That's what we should be looking for. More about that here in just a moment. But notice what he says in verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Spirit. This is what sets him apart. He is filled with the Spirit. I, I mentioned to our, our class this morning, what, what changes in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost? What causes a church to go from 120? They're not really what we would think of as a church, but this group of people in the upper room in Jerusalem, 120, become 3,000, become 5,000, and they're told to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What allows that to happen? What causes that to happen? And the answer is the Spirit of the Lord, right? The same thing happens when we talk about John here. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Individually, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that mean anything to you? I'm going to say that if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that mean anything to you? See, that changes everything. If we go and God goes with us, the, the equation has been changed. He's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're, we're baptized into Christ, right? We're risen to walk in a newness of life. And that newness of life is being filled with the Holy Spirit. The equation's changed, right? We should no longer see those circumstances like we once saw those circumstances. This is the God with us in Matthew. This is God among us in, in Luke. It changes our identity. Second thing I want you to notice is verse 16 and 17. Notice what it says. And he will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Why would it say that? He would turn 
Many in Israel, they're the people of God. Why would they have to be redirected to look back toward God? Because they've lost their focus. They've lost their identity. They've become conditioned to circumstances. They've become conditioned to hopelessness and the lack of blessing. And There needs to be an angel of the Lord. There needs to be a messenger of God. There needs to be a prophet who shows up and not just points out their sin, but reminds them of the faithfulness of God. He will turn many of Israel back to the Lord, their God. This is the spirit of Elijah. You guys remember Elijah? Elijah, if you haven't read about Elijah and the kings, you need to do so. He's, he's kind of a strange guy, but God uses him in great ways. And he's a, he's a prophet. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God, as we've talked about um, in recent past. He speaks for God. He speaks for on God's behalf. And, and he's not just doing this all the time. He's not just accusing the people of, of, of their sin and, and ways that they need to change. But he's also reminding them of their faithfulness, that, that God, of God's faithfulness, that God is always working behind the scenes. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded over and over and over again, especially in this broken world, that God is faithful. Anybody remember Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God is working out all things? What does all mean? It means all, right? That God is doing something. We may not be able to see it with our natural eyes, but God is always doing something. Verse 17, he goes on to say, With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is not just about identity in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is about the task and the role of the prophet, the forerunner. This is what he does, right? He makes ready the people of the Lord. So what are we saying about John? There's a couple things I think we ought to consider when we think about John. As we're preparing for this Christmas season in 2019, it's not just about John, because if you know God's call, Jesus' call, during his 33 years of ministry, Jesus commissions the church to do what he commissions John to do. He commissions the church the same way he commissions John, the forerunner of Christ, to do. Let me give you an example. The identity of John, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're the ecclesia, if you're the church, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That changes things. It's not only God with us, it's God among us. And your role, your task is in the spirit of Elijah to speak about the faithfulness of God, to recognize that God is not done with us yet, that the Messiah is coming. Well, one of the things the prophets do, I think about Elijah as he prays, and you'll remember that he prayed that there would be no rain. And guess what? It didn't rain for three years. And then he prayed again, and he prayed the skies would open, and guess what? And they couldn't stop the rain, right? This is a mouthpiece of God. This is a prophet of God, the ambassador for God, the one who goes before God, much like the church is called to do. Speak for God. Act on God's behalf. The one who encourages the world and testifies about God's righteousness to the world. 
I think one of the reasons that we gather around this table is not only to worship. Of course, that's a big part of it. But what we mean by worship is recognizing the faithfulness of God, especially in the times in which we live. Church, we've, we've talked about it over and over again. If you, if you look at the news, if you read the news, if you see things that are happening in our world, it's pretty easy to become discouraged, is it not? It's pretty easy to recognize the brokenness in the world. But do you believe that God's still on the throne? Do you believe that God is still working things out for the good of all people, right? Do you believe that God is going to eventually send the Messiah to come and gather the church and, and we'll live eternally with God himself, right? Isn't that the Christmas story? But before we get to the promised Messiah, I want you to think about the, the forerunner. And think not only about John. Think not only about his responsibility as being filled with the Holy Spirit and his task and his role of speaking to the people about God. That's our role as well. So then I just ask you as we close this morning, who is it that you're supposed to share the gospel with? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's somebody that you were sitting around the Thanksgiving table this past week and God prompted you to say something. God, God prompted you to share the gospel and however you share the gospel. Did you? Maybe it's somebody that God has in mind that he will interact your pathway with that person's pathway over this next week, over the next several weeks. Are you prepared to share the gospel? Are you prepared in the spirit of Elijah to do as John did? If not, will you get yourself prepared? Last question. Will this Christmas in 2019 be like all other Christmases before? Will you get caught up in all the other things that people get caught up? The lights, the glitter, the things that commercialism tells us? Or is Christmas much greater than that? Will you live in this default mode of woe is me or pull the covers up over your head and hope it all goes away? Or will you recognize that God is still in the business of changing equations? Will you recognize that God's plan is still to send the Messiah? And my prayer is that we will make ready, not just ourselves, but make ready the world for the Messiah's return. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, for your word, for the joy that we have only in Jesus Christ, for the righteousness we have, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are, I'm grateful. Father, I know that you've called us to mission. It's not just about sending someone to Turkey or to Ireland or elsewhere, but it's we are all missionaries. And I pray, Father, that we would all recognize that. I pray that as we are reminded of what it means to be called your church, that we're not just going through the motions. I pray, God, that you would equip us. And when equipped, that we will, in the spirit of Elijah, in the spirit of the Lord himself, that we will speak the gospel not only into our own lives, in our own families, in our own hearts, but to the world around us. Pray that you would hold our feet to the fire 
May we be the church. May we be the called out ones, especially this Christmas season. In Christ's name I pray.